We are in an age where perhaps we need new metaphors to describe 21st century life. Sometimes people will say they are drinking from a fire hose when they're placed in a new situation, or perhaps they're in the deep end, or perhaps in the weeds. These may no longer be relevant. Sadly, the research budget for Charlottesville community engagement does not include funding for neologisms, but your suggestions for phrases, new and old, are requested. I'm Sean Tubbs, not sure if this is a sequitur or the non-kind. On today's program, a truck hit a utility pole in downtown Charlottesville last night, knocking out internet service with Ting slowly returning service throughout this afternoon. City manager Sam Sanders gives an update on his quarterly work plan and announces that the city's decarbonization study is on pause. And a very brief look at bills that have passed the Virginia House of Delegates, including new rules that might allow cyclists to yield at stop signs and ride two abreast. And a very brief look at a series of legally mandated public notices in the first of a new signal boosting series and probably the only place you're going to find out about a fish kill. And in today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, one Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of e-bikes that are lent out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out the service at ebikelibrarycville.org. Internet service provided by the company Ting was knocked out of operation last night after a tractor trailer struck a utility pole at the intersection of Park Street and East High Street. Here's a section from the Charlottesville Police Department's Facebook page. This caused a transformer to catch fire. Soon after, Ting reported on its status page that the collision damaged fiber lines and repairs could not begin until after Dominion Energy cleared them to do so. At 8.23 a.m. this morning, the company reported that that had not yet happened. Here's a section from their status page. We currently have no ETA as we are waiting on the Dominion repair crew to repair the fallen power pole and restore power before we begin repairs on the damaged fiber. Three hours later, another status update reported that the engineers were able to get to the site to begin the repair and that some service had been installed. One disclaimer is that Ting is a sponsor of Charlottesville Community Engagement. The incident happened within the geographic scope of a streetscape project funded by the Commonwealth Transportation Board in 2016, but that has not proceeded to construction in part because of the need to construct the Belmont Bridge replacement first. For more details on the East High Streetscape, take a look at the dedicated website, though it's not been updated for four and a half years. Charlottesville City Council's meeting on February 5th, 2024, was so packed with information that I'm still going through it to make sure I've captured all the action. 
I've already written about Council's second reading of a $4.181 million purchase of property owned by the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. There's a link to that in the newsletter. Future editions of the newsletter will have more from this meeting. But for this one, I can report that City Manager Sam Sanders had a lot to say during his regular update to City Council and the public. He was particularly pleased to report that two new top officials have taken their station in City Hall. So for me, this is an exciting time because this is the first time that our full executive leadership team has been filled at the same time. Eden Ratliff is the Deputy City Manager for Administration, and Lionel Lyons is the Deputy City Manager for Operations. Ratliff will oversee human resources, finance, information technology, and the budget. Lyons will oversee neighborhood development services, public works, transit, and utilities. Deputy City Manager Ashley Marshall will oversee human services, social services, the Office of Human Rights, Parks and Recreation, the Police Civilian Oversight Board, the Office of Sustainability, and the Office of Social Equity. Sanders presented the second quarter update of his work plan, a document he said would track his performance since becoming city manager last August. He said he is pressing city staff on the importance of service and impact. The team hears me say it often uh, in many of my messages to them with uh, focusing on quality service and how we can impact lives daily because I believe that to my core. I came into government because I wanted to fix government. So I don't know if everybody knows that about me, but I've been very critical at times in my past. And my goal here is to to influence it, to do things that I know it can do. Sanders listed three areas of collaboration between multiple departments to deliver new services, such as an alternative response public safety team equipped with people capable of doing mental health interventions. Uh, we've been looking at opioid abatement and spending money uh, in that space. We've also been looking at violence reduction, and a pre-arrest diversion program. So those are things that you can expect to hear from us. The presentation also included a calendar of work sessions for the rest of the year, including topic areas for what are known as two-by-two-by-one meetings. This is where Sanders and other officials can brief counselors two at a time to evade the need to hold a noticed meeting. A standalone work session to follow up on alternative fuel sources for Charlottesville area transit is planned for February 27th. In January, Council was briefed on a recommendation to purchase two battery electric vehicle buses as a pilot, as well as to plan to purchase a hydrogen vehicle in 2027. It'll be a discussion on what Council has heard since you were able to hear from Kimberly Horn in their presentation to you last month, and just to be able to provide any additional context that may have come in through the responses, and to really frame up what is the decision point. Sanders said there are no federal or state mandates related to the fuel type, but the city does have its own greenhouse gas reduction goals. On Thursday, the Biden administration announced there would be $1.5 billion available through the Federal Transit Administration for low-emission and no-emission buses. I suspect we'll hear about that again. Sanders also said a decarbonization study that has been underway is now on pause, due to a number of critiques and concerns raised by advocacy groups. Council had a briefing on October 16th, and the minutes indicate that individuals associated with the Community Climate Collaborative spoke, but does not include their specific objections. The decarbonization work has been um, probably challenging at best. I think you all would join me in, in acknowledging that for some of the questions and or concerns as to where we are. 
Sanders also apologized to the public for audiovisual issues that made it hard to follow counsel's retreat on January 26th. To make up for it, he wrote out a nine-page summary of the event for people to read. Here are some takeaways. Council will no longer participate in joint public hearings with the Planning Commission, and these will instead be scheduled for actual council meetings. The city's financial advisor, Public Financial Management, is recommending a conservative approach to budgeting for fiscal year 25. Employee wages make up 33% of the city's general fund expenditures, and the amount subject to collective bargaining is about a third of that. Ratings agencies are monitoring negotiations across the Commonwealth due to the potential of financial uncertainty if there are potentially labor disruptions. More from City Council in the future episodes of this program. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. From Crozet to Barracks Road, the downtown mall to the shops of Stonefield, and everywhere in between, Albemarle County and Charlottesville's offices of economic development encourage you to buy local as the new year unfolds. Buying locally supports our neighbors and community members and makes a big impact for our local economy. Local businesses are more likely to reinvest in our community, and their goods and services contribute to the unique character of the community. You can learn more about how you can support local business at showlocallove.org and on social media. There are links in the newsletter to Instagram, Facebook, and the website formerly known as Twitter. more segments today, and they're both not about Charlottesville. Today is crossover day in the General Assembly, which means that any remaining legislation in both chambers must be approved by midnight or they die. As of last night, there were 1,228 regular bills pending in the House of Delegates and 473 pending in the Senate. That number is already obsolete, but there's a lot going on, isn't there? Today's crossover day rules do not apply to the budget, as both of the relevant committees in each chamber have until the end of February 18th to report out whatever they've come up with. The House and Senate have to approve their versions of the budget by February 22nd and then have to approve the other chamber's version by February 28th. All committees have to complete their work by midnight on March 4th, and all bills have to be approved by midnight on March 9th. Then the 140 legislators will go home until they reconvene on April 17th to consider amendments and vetoes that will have been made by Governor Glenn Youngkin. Here is the status of several bills in the House of Delegates that have passed. If a vote count is not given, the vote was unanimous. Last June, Wintergreen police officer Chris Wagner was shot and killed while responding to a call. His family is not eligible to receive health and disability benefits under Virginia's Line of Duty Act because the Wintergreen Police Department is a private force. The Nelson County Board of Supervisors requested that legislation be introduced to extend those benefits to non-public police departments. The version in the House of Delegates failed in a subcommittee on January 18th due to fiscal concerns, but SB 466 is still alive and unanimously passed the Senate on February 8th. 
Another bill, HB 1433, offers other changes to the Line of Duty Act. HB 1495 would establish the Television and Film Production Development Grant Program to create apprenticeship programs. This passed on a 55 to 43 vote. HB 1488 would standardize public notice requirements for certain meetings. This passed unanimously and awaits action in the Senate Local Government Committee. HB 1462 would create a civil penalty for anyone caught leaving a firearm unattended in a motor vehicle. This passed the House of Delegates on a 51 to 46 vote. HB 1429, introduced by Delegate Amy Lawfer, would exempt indoor agricultural equipment from personal property taxes. HB 1415 would allow localities to create a civil penalty if a property owner demolishes a building in a historic district without approval. That passed 54 to 44. HB 1398 would allow localities to create a framework to preserve housing currently rented at affordable levels by allowing a right of first refusal to the locality or a qualified designee. This passed yesterday on a 54 to 46 vote. HB 1386 would require that workplaces must comply with local laws on firearms. That passed 51 to 46. HB 1370 would prohibit medical debt to be reported to consumer reporting agencies. That passed 54 to 45. HB 1284 would allow firefighters and emergency medical services personnel to engage in collective bargaining as part of a union. The vote on that one was 51 to 47. HB 1266 would allow bicyclists, e-bikes, and scooters to yield at stop signs in certain conditions and to allow riders to ride two abreast in lanes. This was originally defeated on a 49 to 49 vote, but then passed on a second vote, 51 to 49. HB 1077 is a similar bill that passed 52 to 47. HB 1174 would raise the age to own an assault firearm to 21. That passed on a 51 to 46 vote. HB 1071 would allow localities to reduce speed limits to less than 25 miles an hour. That passed 53 to 46. HB 894 would slightly expand the number of all virtual meetings that advisory boards and commissions could meet in a given year. Currently, that's capped at no more than 25% of their total meetings, and the proposal would change that to no more than 50%. The effectiveness of this would be limited by the fact that these groups would still be restricted to two electronic-only meetings a year. This passed the House 74 to 26. And finally, for this very incomplete summary, HB 842 would allow localities to contract with private companies for pupil transportation. That passed 81 to 19. This is just a snapshot. I'll have another one tomorrow and likely until the end of the General Assembly. I use the Virginia Legislative Information System if you'd like to do your own research. Find anything interesting? Let me know in the comments. Finally today, this is a bit of an experiment. I recently failed to report that there were public hearings coming up before city council on a Thursday night. And when I fail, I put new systems in place to try not to get the same mistake made again. In this case, I am redoubling my efforts to make sure I'm seeing whatever public notices local governments are mandated by Virginia law to provide. As such, I'm going to begin posting summaries of these as well. 
the whole point of calling this Charlottesville Community Engagement and calling my business Town Crier Productions is to point out that this is what a municipal journalist does. Or at least, it seems to make sense to me, and I suspect people will be interested in what you're about to hear. However, newspaper circulation is very low when compared to the total population. My circulation is also fairly low, but my job is to provide as much information as I can and to grow the audience. You know, community engagement. This is not an exhaustive list, but you can conduct your own research at Public Notice Virginia. Here we go. There will be a public auction on February 27th at 2 p.m. on the front steps of the Albemarle County Courthouse to pay delinquent taxes on three properties in Albemarle and one in Charlottesville. Details on the judicial sales are available at the website of the law firm Martin & Wren. The Charlottesville property is 217 Oak Street, and the owner, since at least 1985, is deceased. Southwest Mountain Vineyards on Route 231 is seeking a limited brewery and limited distillery license. Objections to the issuance have to be submitted to the Virginia Alcoholic Beverage Control Authority no later than 30 days after the first of two required newspaper notices, and the first one was published on February 3rd. That's from the Charlottesville Daily Progress, February 10th, 2024. The Department of Environmental Quality is seeking comment on a recommended enforcement action on the firm Linko for violations of the State Water Control Board regulations within the city of Charlottesville. The notice points to a DEQ website with pending corrective actions, and at research time, that was not posted. I asked for a copy of the report, and it turns out this relates to a fish kill in an unnamed tributary of Moores Creek related to an unpermitted discharge around Stratford Court that killed around 869 fish, 527 salamanders, and 309 worms. The comment period is open from February 12th to March 12th, and the temporary notice is available for download in Sevilpedia. An entity called Curti Her LLC is seeking a license to sell beer and wine off-premises at a location at 1001 Main Street to be traded as Seven Day Junior. This building is currently occupied by several other businesses, and this building is a contributing structure in the West Main Architectural Design Control District. Crozet Seafood is also seeking a license to sell beer and wine at their location. There's also, for them, a pending application that will go before the Architectural Review Board, as mentioned by Jim Duncan in January. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority will hold a public hearing on March 25th on their capital fund plan for fiscal year 24 through fiscal year 28 and five-year action plan. The total cost of construction is estimated at $29,228,900 to build 47 units of new public housing units in the first phase of the 6th Street Apartments Project, according to a public notice of two actions to be taken by the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development. One is a request the state agency will make of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to release funds for the project. Forgive the shouting, but the other is a finding of no significant impact. That construction won't have an impact on the human environment. It's always spelled out that way, and I just have to shout. That means that no further review is necessary. The notice has more information about how people can make comments. That one's from the Daily Progress, February 1st, 2024. Did you find any of that useful? Let me know, and I'll keep doing these. 
And I'll also keep doing these. It is the end of 635, and today's edition does not end the amount of stories to come out of Charlottesville City Council meeting on February 5th, 2024. Still to come are stories on adoption of the Development Processes Manual, the Affordable Housing Manual, a rezoning on Lankford Avenue, and another budget discussion. In my years of reporting, I've never seen more happening at once in the community. I strive to report as much as I can, and there are stories I have not yet written about things that happen in Albemarle County. It's just me at Town Crier Productions, and I know I have to change that quick so all of us can know more about what's happening in this very critical point in our region's history. Thanks to those who are paying for a subscription, I feel confident I will get there. If you pay through Substack, Ting matches your first payment. Thank you very much, and it's now time to get to 636 which is a really wonderful number. Goodbye.